This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everyone, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. My name is Joshua Lewis, and today I am graced to be in the presence of Miller. <laughs> You're graced. I'm graced to be in the presence of Michael Miller. I am uh, here. Former co-host, and then co-host again. And then <laughs> it's and twice, then, twice removed co-host. The studio co-host. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who are new to Remnant Radio, my name is Joshua Lewis. Remnant Radio is a theology broadcast. We interview pastors, teachers, and theologians from different churches and denominations. But today we are doing a series on To Be Continued, which is a series on the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we talk about the gifts once a week. Uh, Miller usually streams in from Denver, but since Michael's on sabbatical, uh, you came in and preached at his church on Sunday. So I did. You're now here with us. I, I, yeah, I didn't. I don't think I realized when I took it it was because he was on sabbatical. The, oh, the yeah. engagement. Yeah, I, I just. You thought you were going to hang out with Roundtree, and he bailed on you. Well, actually, I was supposed to stay at his house mm-hmm. last night, and he calls me. He's like, "Oh, I totally forgot to tell my wife." And uh, yeah, so there's no sheets, work. and so he's like, "Can you get a hotel?" <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Yes, I literally booked a hotel last night, <laughs> like at nine p.m. Yeah, I'm thinking. glad we're saying this publicly. Perhaps yeah, I, they all need to know this. this. Yeah. Uh, this is what happens when you and I are in person. Where we Just start cut up. Yeah. So it's good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, last couple episodes we've talked about tongues. Um, today I thought it would be worthwhile. It's been pressing on my conscience of just this. The kind of uh, ways that continuationists and cessationists talk about each other. Um, you know, I, I think that there are hyper charismatic abuses. I think there are probably cessationist abuses to that same token. Uh, but I, I want us to, to really look at each other as brothers and really realize that most of our disagreement is based on terms. And the way that the way that we disagree is not even really about the practice. We actually practice life very similarly, many of us, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we want to call things differently, uh, call certain terms like prophecy, providence, you know, the gift of healing as a miracle. Um, We want to use different terms in talking about these things. Uh, So I thought we might maybe just start off talking about the history of the charismatic and cessationist divide. Uh, and talking about the difficulties of that. Now, you know, the the cessationists and the continuists are going to be on two different sides of the history as well. That's right. So even to talk about this is probably going to take a continuous perspective on our history. Sure. Um, But with the intention of of uniting rather than quibbling. Sure. Yeah, so like um, the earliest continuationist cessationists, because these terms are modern terms. You're not going to open up all of the documents you have on the patristics, on the Logos Bible stuff where it's <laughs> been continuationist. And well, are they going to be, are they modern English terms or yeah. are they even terms used in German during the Reformation? So from what I understand, the term cessationist, cessationism creeps up in the Protestant Reformation as the word cessation. The gifts have ceased. They uh-huh. have, there's a ceasing of these, as we all know, and is this happening, a ceasing of these gifts. You may know more about this than I do, but is this happening in Germany proper, like where the Protestant Reformation started? Or Yeah, so Calvin is the first one, as far as I'm aware, according to your your mentor, Jack. Yeah, I know, Jack book, said that. He says, uh, John Calvin. And Jack would know. I mean, Jack he would, would yeah. Yeah, John Calvin is the first one to articulate a, a robust position for the cessation of the gifts, mm-hmm. followed by 
uh, Middleton, followed by B.B. Warfield. So those are the three, um, I would say, even modern since the Protestant Reformation that are articulations of cessationism um, that were formed. So you have the Roman Catholic Church, who we can can call the hyper-charismatics, right? The ones who are... Which you and I have made a case for, like the modern charismatic today. We've drawn some similarities, similarities between the... NAR... Yeah, and that and the, the the Catholic Church when it comes to their ecclesiology, the man of God, the apostle at the top, being yep. no different than a pope. Uh, a number of different things we can get into. So yeah. sidetrack, but keep yeah, going. Yeah, the, the ecclesiology is similar, but also the view of the charismatic gifts in the same way today that uh, there is a charismatic uh, like museum that Bethel is putting together, uh, where they have like Bibles that drip oil in manna that comes out of certain bibles and like these kinds of relics if you will that have supernatural we power we should i think we should is there money in the remnant money. budget uh, donations trip, people draw them in <laughs> uh, so so uh it's very similar to what was going on in the roman catholic day except i don't know that they're chasing pe- sick people around with the manna bible oh i know that, but the catholic but church has similar. their their relics the you know bodies that don't age or corrupt um you know, I, I, I've seen them. Like I went to, not the bodies, the <laughs> Turin. Turin. No, I didn't go see that. I was, uh, so I've seen James, the lesser, uh, I've seen his skull and the, uh, if I'm got it right. his face. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like we can talk about James, like which one? Oh, you know, the lesser. But like when you get to heaven, I dare you to call him James, the lesser. Was- which one are you? <laughs> Are you the lesser? And he's like, I died. That's not what they meant by that. He's like, he's like, why am I the lesser? I died a horrible death. All right, you derailed. Sorry. So no, I've been to the I've been to the Vatican, um, and I've been to uh, a CC where I saw a lot of the relics of Saint Francis, his bloody socks, which is kind of a weird thing because he got nice. the stigmata, and then um, you know Saint Clair in the same place. Uh, James Lesser, his is in Venice, I think, is in. I can't remember the name of the cathedral, but it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so I've seen these things. And that's it, the idea of relics in a general sense is not a non-biblical idea. I mean, there's a reason they took the patriarch's bones with them um, when they went from Egypt to the promised land and all that. Right, so when, when, we, when we talk about relics, I mean, you can, you can have two different ideas of relics. You can have relics as in this is a piece of history and it's attached to a piece of history or there's something that seems supernatural that surrounds this piece of clothing, the spiral, sure. whatever. Uh, it's another thing to create and formulate doctrines of healings and miracles surrounding these relics. Yeah, if you if, get this piece of the cross, then right, you'll get healed. Right. These relics are the ones actually performing the miracles because of the saint that Im- Im- imbued some kind of grace upon this relic from the dead. Right. Yeah. Opposed to a, uh, I, I would say, a conservative continuationist who says all healing and all power comes from God. Uh, not from the person, right? Even the bones of Elijah. It's not as if Elijah had earned or merited a, a form of grace that was his to possess and from heaven blessed his bones. It was that God blessed yeah. Elijah. And, God when I, and I would say, so a lot of people today in Charismatics in particular, they'll, they'll quote out of uh, Acts, uh, I think it's 19, where you see the um, <clears throat> handkerchiefs being taken, sweat right. cloth, Paul's sweat cloth. Shadow ceiling folk. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing is, they don't take a lot of the context in consideration as to why that would happen. So in a part of a world where they're used to using amulets and precious gems to heal people, well, God shows that he's greater than their powers by using a sweat cloth. So it's like Jesus using spit as opposed to, you know, 
find gold. The know. weakness of God is more powerful than the might of man. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's 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 an uh, it's a very illustri- illustrative, visceral uh, uh, comparison between what our God does versus what the other gods need to do whatever they do. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So so uh, in the uh, you have patristic fathers like even uh, such August such as Augustine who will state. Um, that it seems as if these gifts have ceased, but then later on in the City of God, Book Twenty Two goes, "Hey, these things are you still." You memorized around. it. That's I've impressive. memorized quite a few things. Okay, uh, yeah. we do a show on the gifts every week. If you <laughs> can't <laughs> memorize something about the gifts, you're in trouble. Oh, I didn't saying. know that. I mean, I know that Augustine, Augustine changed his position, but I yeah. didn't. I couldn't tell you where. Yeah. So, um, in in various places, um, you'll have writings of church fathers talking about the gifts uh, to, uh, in a positive light and talking about the gifts in a negative light. So we really don't have a solid like group that just cohesively says it's done, it's over until the Protestant Reformation, um, as far as I can perceive. So you've got sporadic movements of the spirit where it seems as if there's a lot of supernatural activity in the early patristic area, uh, in the in the Desert Fathers, in, in, in different times throughout history. Lots of mythic lore as well. You get, you get some weird stuff in there too, but... In, Not that the scriptures aren't weird. I, I mean, say, uh, uh, axe floating, axe yeah. floating, yeah. stabbing the earth with an arrow. I mean, we got some virgin stuff. birth. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's the big ones like that too. <laughs> there's a yeah. Anyway, uh, there's a guy sitting on a throne right now. who's <laughs> yeah. born of a virgin. Uh, anyway, um, so so we've got some we've got some weird stuff in that period. But then when the Protestant Reformation happens, John Calvin articulates a cessation of the gifts, um, really rooted in the, this idea that the Roman Catholic Church is appealing to supernatural miracles as authority for teaching. Look, you can believe what we're saying is true because we have a piece of the cross that can heal somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Like God wouldn't be using us to do this if our teaching wasn't right. And the- Which is the same argument we hear for every- That's right. Church, there's so much justification going on for whatever bad practice that church has because, hey, look at this fruit, right? I mean, that's that's why people look at the Mormons and say, hey, they had tongues. When Mormonism broke out, there was a big outpouring of tongues. They had 12 apostles and all this stuff. They're looking to these signs as affirming the message that is being preached. So the Protestant reformers were like, no, 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 no. Like The, the message is self-authenticating. Well, are, are you saying that they're affirming the message they're preaching or were they saying affirming the messengers? Because those two things are two different things. Either or, you know, the, the Protestant, not the Protestants, but the Mormons and the Roman Catholics, not saying that they're in the same level of error, but they're both in error, um, that the... Uh, both of them are appealing to miracles to say, look at our message, which Jesus said would happen, that false teachers, mm-hmm. false prophets would come performing miracles and saying, look, this proves what we're preaching. Yeah, I remember having this conversation with Jack some time ago. And the reason why I had it is because on some level, you do see some scriptural grounds for affirming the message because of works. So um, John ten thirty seven, don't believe me unless I do the works of him who sent me. Right. Uh, which the works are clearly miraculous works because the works that he's talking about in, in context is the blind man being healed in the chapter right before it. Uh, and then you've also got Paul saying in, in Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, uh, I didn't come to you with a persuasive speech, but with a demonstration of power so that your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom that comes from men, but on the power that comes from God. So uh, I, I would see that there's some precedent for works affirming the message of the gospel. Um I don't know, or maybe just complimenting it. But I mean, what do you think about that? So, well, so like in, in John six twenty nine, right? We have uh, the passage where Jesus says, the work of God is him who believes on me. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's the work of God. Um, so this, uh, and again, you, you can be used, the word can, can be used, used in different ways, used in different sure. ways. So, um, I'm going to, but in John 10 and nine, he's clearly talking about healing a blind man, healing the blind man. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and then, and Jesus even says like, uh, if you didn't believe what I said, like you should have at least believed the miracles that I've done, yeah. done in your mouth. Yeah. He right? says it right afterwards. Well, so, so here's the thing. At least with, believe in the work. So you may also come to believe in me. Right. Yeah. We're told that there are even in, in early on in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we're told that there are going to be false prophets to come that do signs and God's going to allow them to do signs to see if the people are going to be led away. Yeah. So, um, I would say Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 13. That's right. So I would say that, that there, there is a two authentication, like a, like a funnel almost. Right. Okay. Um, I, I would, I would not say miracles are, are we processing this out loud or is this something you've already sort of formulated? I'm, I'm oh, yeah. asking well, sincerely. No, yeah. Sincerely. I, I would say that, that the, the, the charismatic gifts are not enough to prove the message because those appear in all kinds of cult practices that are outside of the Christian mm-hmm. faith. Right. Um, and the message in the early church was not being affirmed. How could this early message be affirmed? It was just what the Jews said versus this new cult group of Christians. Well, these new the Christians early on. had a display of power, right? And this display of power was accompanied with an authentic message that wasn't leading people away, away from, from the God, God of Israel, but to him. But to him right? so, so, so that's the two factor. Yeah. Okay. In the same way that like my computer has a fingerprint scanner and a password, you can have both. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not as if, um, but again, the message that was being preached by Jesus and the apostles was confirmed through signs, wonders, and miracles. Um, and I would say that today it can still be preached and still affirmed by signs, wonders, and miracles. But I would also say that you can preach the gospel and it be true and not be accompanied by signs, by signs wonders, wonders, and miracles. Uh, but uh, so, okay. So the signs and wonders <laughs> and miracles can affirm the gospel message and complement it. And in some sense, the signs and wonders today would also be part of the message on some level because uh, Jesus's words in Matthew 12, when the blind mute boy gets healed, he says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon That's you. Right. So you're actually seeing a transaction taking place of God extending his rule which is the message being preached, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. Um, anyway, yeah. I, I, yeah, well, even Joel chapter two, right? Like when in Acts two, when this outpouring takes place, he's like, hey, this is what the prophet spoke of. He's pointing him back. He's not pointing him to something new, right? Mm. He's pointing to something back. And even as you're reading through the apostle Paul, he is writing, he quotes the Old Testament like ridiculously, like all the time, constantly. He's not pointing them to something new. He's he's affirming something that's old and a fulfillment of that which was old. So, um in the Roman Catholic context of the Protestant Reformation, I mean, we have... Now, on some level, we're affirming something new. They are affirming something Absolutely. new. Absolutely. Right? The, the, the uh, infallibility of the Pope, right? The infallibility of the Pope, the, I would say, prayers to the saints, which I know my English... Indulgences, love. selling of indulgences. Selling of indulgences, like some of those some of those categories. I'm saying they are not in the scriptures. They're, they're post-scripture um, uh, and so they were pointing of, to the miraculous works to yeah. affirm false teachings in this case. That's right. Okay. And, and the Protestant Reformation was like, no, 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 you, you can't perform a miracle. And that, so, so what they were doing is they were like, look, they're, they're moving us away from the message, right? And it's these miracles that are their stamp of approval. So we've got to get rid of this, right? We can't believe, we can't practice, we can't affirm these kinds of supernatural miracles because they are the foundation uh, by which that the Roman Catholic Church is affirming um, and are full of error practices. I was going to say inerrant practice, but that's the exact opposite yeah. of what I was trying to say. <laughs> well, hey, just just curious question here. So I know I know that uh, John Calvin formulates this, but does Martin Luther? Uh, uh, ha- 
How does uh, he deal with that argument? <clears throat> does he even at all? Luther Luther's a bit confusing because he does talk about that kind of thing. Like he does, he does. Well, didn't he hear the audible voice of God? He speaks well. So there, there is delib- deliberation amongst his historians on what exactly happened at the lightning strike and the yeah. puncturing of his leg with the sword and like all these kinds of events um, that they were definitely used in the kind of provisionist sort of sense or the the providential sense. Um, but I think he, he would speak of the cessation of the gifts the way that modern cessationists today, which we're going to actually watch some of these videos. Sure. Talking about God speaking to them and leading them, but not in the way that um, they would call prophecy. But Luther, you and I would believe, call it a gift of the Spirit. You would say they God would call, speaking to them. God yeah, it's like a, a language I hear, I used to hear in the Bible church that I went to, the Dallas Theological Seminary group, is uh, somebody who had to get to prophecy. They would say, "Well, that person is very discerning." Right. Yeah, which I always thought was kind of a funny thing. I'm like, really? They can see spirits? They know if something's demonic or not? <laughs> like, I would define it very differently. They just have like some kind of spiritual insight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they would know things, right? Yeah. But they shouldn't know. They just know things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're... That's how it would be used, seriously. Yeah. And there are, there are... I think that's the way that Luther would use it because Luther says, hey, um, it seems as if Luther appeals to the prophecy of John Huss. Mm-hmm. To, to believe he is fulfilling the prophetic call, the prophetic word over John Huss, because he's like this. And I don't mean yeah, John Huss burned in a way. It seems as if it was like a a reincarnation. And again, I'm not saying that in an a new age. Yeah, I'm yeah you mean like, more like a typology, a typology. Yeah, yeah. like uh, John the Baptist and Elijah. Not a which we would be I, well, we, and, and I and I would actually affirm that he was. Like sure. I have no problem with saying he was a type of John Huss, sure. type of John the Baptist, a reformer. I mean, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. we use that term today all the time for people. Incarnation came to mind. Don't let that be a stumbling block. Yeah, I'm not literally saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when we're talking about this, uh, it's important to realize that there's a lot of di- not division, but but at least between the Roman Catholic Church and Protestantism, and there are offshoots that are continuationist even in that day. And I want to say that they're they're again hyper charismatic. And I'm defining hyper charismatic as people who are viewing the prophetic word as either equal with Scripture anti-intellectual, like, um, uh, I would say to the point they where see their prophecies as infallible. They're, they're willing to invent doctrine and teaching based off of prophecy. Right. Uh, so, okay. so you they have share the, a vision of the church and here's what God is showing me. Yeah. And, and this is, this is truth. So you have the Anabaptists who are like that. Right? Oh, are they? Oh yeah. The, the first Anabaptist group are wacky. Um, they're, they're Protestants killed them. Well, uh, yes, yeah, but aren't they also pacifists? So, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, they are. Yeah, they didn't put up much of a fight. No, I, I, I don't want to laugh at that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's a dark part of Christian history. Um, but they were, they were, they were slaughtered in droves because of um both a a view of so you, you, if you read, which is, in, I mean, it is ironic to think that. Protestants were picking up the sword to do that, knowing how persecuted they would be by the Catholic Church. Right. So, like, you can even say that the sense irony there spurred on the peasant wars unintentionally. Right? Yes, so which he condemned. These, I remember right. reading about that in Metaxas's book. Right. So, a lot of those peasant wars around that same period, there's chapters on the Anabaptists uh, in in uh, Eric Metaxas's writing. So mm-hmm. you, you can pick up on it there as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so so there there are these groups of charismatics in the patristic period that are way out there mm-hmm. right the gnostics the i want to say the the 
Marcians? I, I, not, no, Marcian was the guy who believed the Old Testament. Montanists. Montanists. The Montanists were, were yeah, yeah. charismatic. He, he would speak uh, as God and That's have right. his own prophet. He was like a Moses to the yep. to Aaron kind of thing, but he had two ladies. Yep, yep. So, so we have this history of these, again, I'm defining them as hyper-charismatic just for the sake of discussion, sure. uh, using that term loosely, um, that have existed throughout um, that are, are either walking a dangerous line of orthodoxy or are just straight in heresy, right? They're on that line and oftentimes cross that line into the heresy space. So um, the reformers are like, hey, you've got these Roman Catholics over here. You have these hyper charismatics over there. We're just going to get rid of all of it to keep it safe, to establish the authority of scripture. Let's move on. And then really... So some good things come out of it because that's exactly yeah. what we want is the authority of scripture above right. that of the Pope or a prophecy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so we, we as continuationists would affirm the value of that for sure. Um, uh, however, that, that really goes unquestioned for 500 years, right? There are, there are blips of it as in like the, um, the Morovians. And unquestioned. Sola Scriptura is unquestioned or, uh, Protestants Protestant view, Protestants theology. being undistinguishable from cessationism. Ah, One and gotcha. the same, right? So you have these two groups. Go ahead. I, well, so Yes and no, because you've got in Scotland, that whole part of the Reformation was very continuous. Um, you got a guy I'm being... familiar with it. Uh, so check out Jack Deere's book, Surprised by the Voice of God. Uh, huh? I've read it. He has a chapter called The Presbyterian Prophets. Mm. These are all the prophetic people that came out of the Scottish Reformation. Okay. So it's all it was all taken from John Howie's, I believe, uh, book called The Scots Worthies. It was written in 1781, where he, it's a, just a list of biography after biography after biography. But in there, you'll see things like uh, people speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see a resuscitation from the dead. You'll see uh, a man being burned at the stake, giving a prophetic word about the man who's having him killed. Mm-hmm. And the word comes to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a number of miraculous events, foretellings, those kind of, uh, experiences all throughout that part of the world during the Reformation. Yeah. And, and I would say that ultimately they, they weren't, uh, cessationists is all I'm trying to say right. that there was a continuous stream within there. I, don't, I didn't mean to say that since the Protestant Reformation, there's never been a continuationist. I'm saying that they have almost been synonymous terms. Ah, gotcha. Right? Like so to be say, reformed or to be Protestant is to be, is to be cessationist. Exactly. Gotcha. So, so um, and, and I was just going to continue on saying that even in the 1700s, there's Count von Zinzendorf and Moravians or Moravians. Moravians, yeah. they are, you know, 24-hour prayer for 100 years. They see supernatural stuff all the time. They got real ghosty. I mean, um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of that that happens. There's a lot of blips of it, but we don't see what is mainstream... Um, charismaticism or Pentecostalism until Azusa Street in the 1900s. Somewhat. I, mean, I would say mainstream. I'm calling okay, it mainstream, mainstream for a reason. Okay, worldwide movement. That's right. Yeah, because you definitely see some all kinds of stuff. I sure. mean, Mariah Woodworth Hedder, yep. Amos, Amy Sibyl McPherson, yep. uh, John G. Lake, and, and who is the Zionist guy? But all these guys... I mean, I don't know. Who, they weren't. They weren't worldwide movement. Pentecostal yeah, movement so is even, today even worldwide. Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts predated Azusa. Right? Yeah. So my, my point is that all of there are movements throughout history. So it just depends on how you. And, want and to look when at we, it. we're talking about history, we're, we're really just talking about Western history because right. this isn't even part of the Eastern Church right. at all. Like this is purely Western tradition. Right. It's not being debated over there. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Eastern Orthodox Church, they've been continuationist forever. Yeah. They've never stopped. So. Um, and again, even the term continuationist cessationist is a modern reaction that comes out of this. Right? And what's, the, what's the right term? Is it continuist or continuationist? 
I don't know. I like the shorter version. Continuous. <laughs> yeah. I notice that you, you preference it. Yeah. Dude, this is this is Michael like passive aggressively like stop saying continuation. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's, I because I, I used I to say continuation. Then I was so, like, oh, that my. I've I think my, the Matt Chandler's of the world were using were continuous, and I was like, I like that better, shorter and sweeter. <laughs> <laughs> so with with this conversation, there is just there is a a, a plethora. So the continuationist is going to say a plethora. A piñatas. You know how guapo with a plethora is? I can just tell your face. Yeah. So there's there's a plethora of historical times that the continuationist want to say, look, because it never ceased. We have them here. We have them all the way through church history. In the 1500s, we see a Protestant divide. When the Protestants come out, uh, there are gifts, though they're unbalanced and they don't know how to use them. Uh, then there's periods even through that 500 years, there's sprinkles of the gifts everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So so uh, uh, a Pentecostal charismatic person wants to look at history with kind of like that rose-colored glasses of like, look, we've had the gifts forever, right? And then you have the cessationists and they've got their own glasses that they want to wear too and say, no, 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 look, this has all been abuse. This was strong correction. It was fixed. It crept back in, um, right? So from the thousands to the 1500s, right, we've got, uh, a bunch of charismatic nonsense, and then there's this big reformation that takes place again, and then we get rid of it, right? So, so every time you see the gifts, you see error, right? So we're all gonna look, sure. at, we're all gonna look at it through our own lens. Oh, look, we've got we've got gifts forever, and the other ones gonna be like, yeah, but all your gifts were accompanied by disorder, false doctrine, sexual immorality. So we're getting rid of all that. We don't Doesn't do that. sound that different from today. <laughs> Doesn't sound all that different from Corinth. No. Look at yeah. the church. Well, well played. Yeah. Yeah. So I so, see what you did there. Yeah, uh, so like, yeah, there are people today in the charismatic movement and there's sexual immorality and there's doctrinal, doctrinal error and there's a mishandling of the gifts of the spirit. Um, but that has happened since the beginning mm-hmm. to suggest it's not the church or it can't be Christian because these gifts have. Well, I noticed that in the comments section of many of the podcasts we've done is a lot of people say. Uh, so like we talk about the misuse of the gifts in Corinth and they'll go, yeah, exactly. Those weren't the gifts. And it's like, that, that's not what Paul says. He's not saying yeah. that these are false gifts or not gifts at all. He's saying they are gifts are being misused. Right. Which is sort of an interesting thing. It's like, I can write it off as not even being a gift because it's not being used the way that I think it should be used. Well, it was interesting because I was listening to Paul Washer and I think this is a Paul Washer Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is why people are talking about it, because recently, three years ago, and then it's been republished recently, uh, a girl asked him in his church service in the Q&A period, she goes, hey, what do you think about the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14? And he, he just, Paul Washer, like the, the bashkin of conservative reformed theology, right? Like, you're a worm sinner, right? Like, just real hard, yeah. centered preaching goes, I can't tell you that the gift of tongues has ceased. I can't. I don't see it in the Bible. I understand the argumentation. He goes, but it, I don't see it in the scriptures. What I do see is xenolalia, known human languages. And what I see in the world today is gibberish. He goes, so I'm not going to say that the gifts have ceased, but I'm not going to say that's the gift either. Huh. It's actually a pretty mediated position. I was like, okay, like I respect you. So so for me, and I, I shared this in the last couple podcasts as we've talked about tongues, the fact that I've had people understand me speaking Portuguese, which is a language I don't know. Yeah. He would go, okay, cool. Yeah, he would. Well, he, what would he, he do with the fact that I also have had times where I've spoken in it and somebody who's Portuguese has no idea what I'm saying? I, I don't know what he would do. I do know that he he has talked about his missionary friends in their world countries speaking languages that were known human languages. Yeah. And he's totally fine with it. Well, I, I, my thing is, I, it's just not always been that. 
Okay. And it functions the same way. So the thing that I'm speaking that's not Portuguese and the thing that I am speaking that is Portuguese, I'm going... We'll have to ask him. I like him. I want him on the it's show. It's not like I'm, I don't make up the words in my yeah. head, so it's not, at least I don't think I do. Yeah, some, no. Some people would beg to differ. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to, to ask him, but I don't, I don't know what he would say. And I think that's what people are, are looking at, where they're going, okay, maybe the gifts exist. But then they're comparing, do the gifts exist? Show me the proof. And all they see is the charismatic excess. Yeah. So, so again, Craig Keener's statement, the best argument for cessationism is abuse of the gifts, which yeah. is one of the reasons we call balls and strikes and we're saying, hey, hyper charismatics, we love you. Um, we think you're bought with the same blood that we were, but your excess is causing your Christian brothers not to be edified, right? And they do the same thing on the other side of the spectrum. Hey, to, yeah. Yeah, we say, hey, uh, can, those of you who are cessationists, you're actually discouraging what Paul commanded desire yeah. earnestly spiritual gifts. You're actually disobeying that command and encouraging anything, others to do to. so. Yeah, yeah we, we see we see both sides on that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So We try to anyway, as yeah, best we can. That's our attempt. So um, with with that, um, that's the kind of, the, the kind of uh, progression up into this point. But then the Azusa Street Revival happens, mm-hmm. right? So 1904, uh, Father's Day, not Father's Day, that's a different revival. 1904, um, Bonnie Bray Street, 214, I want to say. Um, uh, Mr. Lee has hands laid on him, is miraculously healed, and begins to speak with new tongues. And then they have a whole bunch of people come in. They pray for them. They speak in tongues. And they go up. They literally run out into the streets and speaking in tongues amongst their city squares because they've received this gift and they want people to get saved, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a crazy story. And the reason the they're doing time. that is, as we said in the past, they think they're speaking a language people will understand. That's right. They believe that they're speaking. It's for evangelism language. in their opinion. And it's yep. they see it in the Acts 2 thread. Yeah. Um, because um, uh, the man who was present at the, the prayer meeting and was leading this movement William Seymour. was William Seymour, yeah. who was a one-eyed black man who sat outside of uh, Charles Parham's classroom because he was a black man and because of Jim Crow laws was not allowed to sit in and get the teaching. This actually is going to start uh, the understanding of the anti-intellectual divide because a lot of the people who are m- leading in the Azusa Street Revival were African-American or non-white. And because of that, we're not allowed and allotted the kind of formal education that a lot of the, the white evangelical leaders were at that time. So you have Charles Parham, or so you have William Seymour starting this movement and pastoring this movement, and these people that are growing up in this movement under his tutelage and discipleship, because he wasn't allowed to have a formal education, there's not really a high premium placed on formal education. The guy that's leading us, he ain't educated. And then the educated people begin to write articles, right? The Methodists, the Baptists, the Lutherans, people are beginning to write articles about this crazy thing that's happening in Azusa, calling it mental illness, calling it demonic, right? Going after these individuals who are really loving Jesus and worshiping God to the best of their ability, but they're also seeing a lot of things. And if you're out there and you know a bunch about Azusa Street and you're like, hey, there was tons of heresy that was preached, I haven't come across it, right? I don't know of any huge doctrinal error that they had. If it exists, shoot it my way. I want to condemn that with you. I'm not trying to make it this rosy colored, this beautiful, amazing thing that happened in Azusa. There was definitely, I'm sure, error on some level. But what I am saying is that you have this group of people who valued the power of God, who weren't allowed to get an education, and then the people who had an education were only going to mock and ridicule them. This is what starts the anti-intellectual divide between the Pentecostal movement and the academic spaces. So the mainline denominations value education, value doctrine, and the charismatics are actually being pushed into an anti-intellectual mold. Um, 
because of either the skin pigment or because of the culture that was beginning to form at Azusa. Yeah, they were already on the other side of the tracks at the end of the day. And so that's going to be discounted by the elites. That's right. So so, so, uh, then what we have is we have this push, right? This is where we get the haves and the have-nots. This is really, I think, where the modern divide in the movement comes. And I just want to appeal to both sides here. Um, We're going to show some video clips that are going to show, and we actually agree many of us, not all cessationists, not all hyper charismatics, right? So there's, there's a spectrum here. There's a lot of gray in between. Most of us actually agree on a lot of our practices. Um, we're just wanting to call things in different definitions. So I'm just kind of calling for like, Hey, let's, let's unify a little bit over some of these things. Um, really acknowledge each other as brothers. If we're going to strive to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and really believe in the leading and the guiding of the spirit, let's just kind of, let's kind of flesh this out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, um, with with this with this divide, you have the charismatic movement beginning to call their churches full gospel, right? Because we have the spirit and they're not preaching the gifts. They're not preaching the the miraculous stuff over there. That's only part of the gospel. We're preaching the full gospel. They would start saying we're a spirit-filled church, suggesting that all these other churches don't have the spirit, right? They don't value it's it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, right? Like they don't believe in the Spirit. And what well, people mean different things by all those things too. That's They're, true. Because because you say spirit filled, they think ah, oh, it just means lively worship. Yep, energetic worship. Whereas other people say no, spirit filled means they have. Do you speak in tongues? Do you yeah, have a blessing. That's what they're thinking. Yeah. So, so both and so one yeah, or the other. Both these and, movements yeah. begin to kind of pit themselves against each other. So, um, you have the the cessationist movement that has begun to articulate their sermons and talk about the charismatic movement in a way that those guys are just anti-intellectual. We have right doctrine. They don't really care about doctrine. Uh, we, um, we're not emotional and just led away by our emotions. We are, um, they, they, they begin to, there's just language wars that begin. The charismatics are like, we've got the ghost. Um, you don't, you don't care. You don't even like the Holy Spirit, which is just a mischaracterization. Well, mischaracterization the, the, the weird thing about the whole divide there is also you've got the charismatic side of it saying, hey, you've got to go Terry in your prayer closet to get it. Right. To get what we are claiming we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have a large chunk of people within that group that don't have what they're claiming they should have. That's right. uh, I think that the, the statistic I gave the other week was like 40% of those who believe that the evidence of the baptism of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. In the assemblies. actually, Yeah, actually speak in tongues. Right. So it's a strange thing. Um, but that's today and not then too. Well, and, well, and then they, they create a doctrine around it, right? I mean, you, you see it happening. It's not like the doctrine came out of Azusa. The doctrine was already happening. Right. Um, John G. Lake promoted it. Uh, Charles Parham, William Seymour, obviously. But all of these guys were preaching a second blessing experience right. uh, to, to be fully empowered, to be witnesses um, was the thing that was happening. in. Uh, well, that was that was always sort of part of it. Uh, I think at, at Azusa in particular, though, it was also racial reconciliation, uh, which is a major component too. Yeah, let me find these videos. So actually, I'm going to pause this and we'll probably show one of these videos right here. Okay. But what I get more is I'll get dreams or revelations or hear something, and, I, and then I'll bring that by spiritual authority to ask, you know, the elders in my church in particular, do you believe this is from the Lord? And if so, I want to test that. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, this probably freak you out. You probably didn't know this. Not that even just having me here didn't freak you out a little bit. But um, what's cool when we hang out is it's hard for the bloggers to know which one's the controversial one. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, we, I just want to thank you publicly for that opportunity. <laughs> you're, so, you're very welcome. And you know, to the public, we did it on purpose. 
Doug needs to look moderate. Let's go get Mark. Okay. Uh, so I'll give you a specific case example. Specific case because you can talk in theory, um, but a specific case example. I was a I was a brand new Christian. God saved me at 19, and I got invited to the men's retreat. And Doug Busby was teaching for me free, and you were teaching, and I think your dad taught, and a couple other guys taught, and so a bunch of the churches came together. I think we went to Camp Wooten, um, and so uh, went to Camp Wooten. I never been to a men's retreat. A bunch of guys were singing. We're in the woods. It was good. I had a great time. I was really encouraged, and um, I went for a walk, and uh, and God talked to me. And he told me four things. He said, uh, Mary Grace, preach the Bible, plant churches, and train men. God spoke to me. Okay? Um, and that's what I've been doing. So I got my family, Marshall Church, uh, Acts 29 Network, and Resurgence. Okay. That's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing since I was 19. And you've been doing that because God told me to. God told you to. You're doing what God said to do. Yeah. And so there's times where it's like, I would like to quit. I would like to drive a bread truck. I would like to get a job as a mattress tester. Like, you know. <laughs> You've had those days. But to me, it's like, no, this is what Jesus told me to do. So if I went to you at that age 19 and I said, Pastor Doug, I'm not trying to be a kook. You know, I'm not, I don't have a word for the world, but I feel like God spoke to me. And this is what he said. What would you have said to me as a 19-year-old kid? Bringing it to my elder. Seattle never work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell me? Yeah. I guess the, the question, I would probably not tell you anything. I'd probably ask some questions. Okay. All right. I would say, well, um, if you came to me and said, everyone, if you uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Or God created the heavens and the earth right mm-hmm. out of the Bible. What you're telling me that God told all of us obligates belief on my part. Oh, absolutely. Right. But when you tell me that God spoke to you, I have the right to think to myself, I don't know, or, or we'll see, or in other words, the test that you test, you, know, you test in the way that you don't test the Bible. Right? The, right. Right. You test whether the person's exegesis is right. Right. But if it's, if it's there, it's binding on all of us. God's word is, is binding. So if you, um, if you came and, and told me these things, and I've seen many spooky things uh, happen as well, and this is what I meant, and I was speaking as a cessationist, but I don't believe the world in which we live is an ordinary world. I think it's a magical place. All sorts of screwy things happen. Mm-hmm. So my, the categories in my mind are more than able to take what you said and say, this is, I don't have just Jesus told him directly audibly the same way he talked to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, or it's demons. Those aren't the only... And it seems to me that in some of the conflicts online that I've seen where cessationists are attacking... Yeah, you, they're like, maybe Satan told him to preach the Bible. Probably not. Probably not. You know? <laughs> Mary Grace, certainly not. Preach, right? plant churches. I could do was like, hey, marry the guy and plant mosques. He'd be like, I think you dialed the wrong number. You know, marry the pastor's daughter and preach the book. That seems like something he'd say. Okay, so... Um, all right, then you leave, you leave room for that. Okay. Um, the Lord gives guidance. Let's say I wake up one morning, I just have a burden for somebody mm-hmm. in the church. It's, and it's not propositional revelation, but I have a burden for someone. And if I call them and they said, oh, I was praying you would call. Oh, you know, what is that? That's the um, Holy Spirit leading, guiding. One, one time I, I, I wrote on this when we were in this controversy, I was uh, involved in a, uh, trying to get a, a young lady, a single mom, to prevent her from joining a cult, an evil cult. And we had been flown to another state to talk to her and it was like bouncing ping pong balls off a bronze statue. You know, she was yeah. just uh, impervious to, and I showed her how bad the cult was and all, you know, she, I, and it was several days. And I, I got up one morning and was reading in Peter and Peter said, the false teachers with eyes full of adultery, they seduce the unstable, unstable. And as soon as I read that, I knew that she was sleeping with okay. a, a guy in this. So you're cult. a charismatic in denial. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for giving me this opportunity to come clean. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm not. <laughs> you are. You come around. Yeah. In this clip, um, we have Doug Wilson and Mark Driscoll explaining, one saying I'm a continuationist, one saying I'm a cessationist, both of them explaining almost the exact same situation and, yeah, and calling even, it different things. Yeah, they're even poking fun at each other. Well, at least Mark Driscoll's yeah. poking fun at him. Dark. Yeah. For, for 
being a charismatic in practice, but a cessationist in title. Well, in title and, and explanation, right? So here's the thing though. Like my, I've got a friend, um, a good friend of mine, <clears throat> one of my best friends. He goes, hey, do you believe there are apostles like the 12 anymore? And I say, no. And he goes, great, you're a cessationist. And then I want to say, do you believe that God can perform any of the gifts of the spirit like he did in the early church? He goes, yeah, sure. And I go, you're a continuationist, right? Like we, we poke fun at each other because if you're going to say any of the gifts well, I think, <laughs> or in any, in any kind of way, in any kind of capacity, he's going to call you a cessationist. The question I would have asked is, do you believe that there are apostles today? Right. And then you go, uh, well, see, cause that terminology, uh, that's where they, they get hung up on. But he was raised in, in the same communities that I was. So mm -hmm. he knows when I say apostle, I mean, church planter, not writing scripture, not inventing doctrine, someone who submitted to the faith that was once delivered. the word missionary. The word missionary is a Latin word that we get from sent. Yeah. The same word for apostle. apostle. So yeah. the word missionary is the word apostle. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. Yeah. Um, that's what I, I believe in missionaries today. Yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that uh, when when we're having these conversations, most of this comes down to semantics and terms. Really, if, if you're going to listen to that. So, well, semantics that, and emphasis, there's certainly a right. different emphasis. Yes. Uh, like we place a lot more, I say we because you and I are on the same page on the continuous side of things, but we place a lot of emphasis on uh, growing in gifts and discovering your gifts, whereas you won't find that in the cessationist church. You'll hear things that are similar but not the same. They'll emphasize obedience to God, which we would too. I'm trying to think how. What's lacking there, but it's also similar. I don't know. Well, um, I lost my train of thought there. Help well, me with, out. With for me in particular, like I don't know that I'm going to um, spend a lot of time emphasizing the gifts more than Scripture does, right? Like I want to preach the Bible, and I believe in expositional, expository preaching, right? I want to say what the Bible says when the Bible says it. So I'm going to talk about the gifts when the Bible talks about the gifts. I don't want to make an emphasis of my ministry something more than the Bible makes it, right? So if every single sermon I'm bringing up the gifts of the Spirit, but my text has nothing to do with the gifts of the Spirit, I'm doing something wrong. Okay, as a Bible teacher in your local church, yes. But I mean, we spend an entire episode of the Remnant right. Radio Show on the gifts. So and we're clearly emphasizing we it more in our personal lives outside of a parish. And the reason we do that is because, and we've, we've talked about this um, recently, is because of the divide in Christendom. Because I'm not pastoring a local church. I'm actually trying to talk to two groups yeah, that I think that are imbalanced. This, this is why I so, made the apology the other week about, hey, those of you who've been coming to visit my church, if you're expecting it to be all about the gifts, right. it's not. It's, it's, it's a church. But, <laughs> it's, but, but it is fair to say, if you're in a group and a community that wears the badge cessationist, which ultimately means that God can sovereignly do whatever he wants through miracles, but we're not expecting these things to be normative. Um, I think there is a pragmatic, which again, you don't, you don't make doctrine out of pragmatism, but, um, I think there's a pragmatic application that if you believe these things are normative, you expect for them and pray for them. I think if you think these things are sparing and God does them whenever he feels like it's like sovereignty as an excuse not to evangelize. Yeah. That's an overflated wrong. view of sovereignty. It would also be an excuse not to pray. Right. Like God can do whatever he wants. So uh, and he knows what I'm going to pray before I pray, so I'm not going to pray. Yeah. Or God can save anyone he wants. He doesn't need me. Therefore, I'm not going to do evangelism. No. God's sovereignty uses means, right? Everyone from Arminian to Calvinist and every shade of 
We all agree on that. Christian in between believes God uses means as a work of his sovereign Mm -hmm. grace. So um, in the same way, if we believe um, in God's sovereignty in the gifts of the spirit, and he tells us to earnestly desire, this is the means in which he's using in us. Um, We should desire, we should view the gifts rightly. And that's what we're talking about is knowing what they are, knowing how to use them, um, equipping the saints for this kind of work. That's an emphasis you're not going to get in a church that doesn't believe in those things. True. So I would agree with that. Um, but but it's it's just so interesting for these two guys. One says in practice God spoke to me, and another one says God's leading me. One would call it prophecy. The other one would call it providence. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really he, he called it. What was the word he used earlier? Uh, propositional revelation. Mm-hmm. I like that. What does he mean by that? I didn't catch the so. So propositional revelation. Um, so when you look at um, you do this, uh, uh, something that is uh, prescribed, prescribed action. So Miller, God told me you should wear blue hats on Thursdays. If you don't do that, you're in sin because it's this new revelation, this new truth that's binding on all consciences everywhere. See? What's the guilt of the Pharisees? And, well, I guess the scribes in particular, they're the ones adding to the law, right? Yeah, but he's he's specifically talking about the charismatic movement or those groups of continuationists like Anabaptists or others who want to tack on, or the Roman Catholics. Who so want it's to a, mis- tack it's on a misuse that you and I would agree with. That's right. Propositional revelation. Yeah, the way he's using it, mm-hmm. right? Now, you could say a proposition would be plant churches, disciple men, Mary Grace. But that's a, well, I guess. That, that is a yeah. proposition. Yeah, that's right? a proposition. Uh, but it's not doctrinal, it's personal. It's submitted to the local church, those kinds of things, right? Which is one of the things that we're going to appeal to. Prophecy should be weighed and judged, tested was the word that Doug will use. Yeah, he used that. It's the same word we use. That's right. For that very thing. Yeah. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others pass judgments to be weighed, considered. Hold fast to what is good. Let go of what is evil. Yes. Yes. And that's why, again, um, if your church is composed of regenerate members and biblically qualified elders. He said regenerate, not degenerate. Yes, regenerate believers and biblically qualified elders. Um, Then (laughs) the gift of prophecy has an opportunity to function in a a healthy way. Uh If you don't have biblically qualified elders, you don't have regenerate church membership, you have people who aren't looking to submit the word to a local body of believers and to have that being judged by people who know the scriptures, you're just going to have just chaos on your hands. It's going to be charismania. So it's interesting. Um, I want to watch this next clip. Yeah, let's do it. it. Okay. This next one um, was really cool because Jeff, when he came on the show, talked to us about the story. He told us this story off air, but I found that he shared this story on Doreen Virtue's podcast. Um, Really cool story. Let's check it out. Mm -hmm. So next thing you know, it was like a day later, um, this little boy who was still in the womb, again, this is end of October, uh, he had a very severe case of spina bifida. It was confirmed uh, via ultrasounds and official diagnoses and all the rest. I guess there's four kinds of, of stages or whatever of spina bifida. He had the worst. Uh, the spine's coming out of the back. It's open. Um, they were talking about uh, potentially he could be in a wheelchair for life. Uh, he might need a brain shunt where they, he basically has to have surgery where they put uh, a tube through his brain and it goes down his neck and it empties into the recess of his stomach. And this is a common thing with people with a stage of spina bifida. Um, and so we knew in a case like this, you're not just adopting a baby, you're also adopting, uh, uh, you're, you're essentially submitting to and, and, and laying your life down to really a life of physical therapy and, and just a lot of difficulty. So I have to be, I, I will readily confess this, readily. Um, I didn't know. 
and I was really grieving over it. We have to make a decision by next Thursday, we were told, a week later, or the state was going to come in and take, take responsibility, um, just because of some factors that were going on. And so we had a week to decide. And I was like, oh, this is a lot of pressure. Like, there's a lot to pray about. Like, I need like maybe a month to pray about this, but I didn't have a month. So I remember that I just sort of stopped talking about it. And, and it got to the point where my wife was very graciously saying to me, babe, you, you need to talk to me about this. And I was just saying, I'm just praying right now. I don't really know what to say. I'm praying. And so what happened was, this is where it gets interesting. And if you guys want to take a look at this, you can, uh, so you get some context. If you go to Apologia Studios and you watch my message from the End Abortion Now conference, I'm a little embarrassed by it because I lost complete control of my emotions and I'd spent the, I think the whole sermon, I had a sermon prepared. Mm -hmm. I didn't give it. I spent the whole sermon crying. Yeah. Um, it was and, touching. I loved it. Oh, did you see it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Here's a background mm -hmm. that I haven't announced much to that. Um, that was Saturday. I had a message prepared. I was fine. Uh, we were all, you know, of course we knew this was lingering, but we're in the middle of conference now, so we can't make any decisions or anything. And so I'm just sort of praying about it, keeping it over here and that. Right. And so next thing you know, I am overwhelmed with grief and I can't explain it. I can't put a finger on it. I am, I feel this weight on me. Um, and it was such an intense thing that I'm about to speak and pastor, uh, Zach comes to me and he says, you ready to go? You ready to teach? And I said, no. And he was, he kind of stopped in his tracks. Like what's wrong? He's like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me right now. And he's like, are you okay? I was like, I have no idea what's going on. I just feel this incredible burden right now. And he's like, okay. So the pastor Luke comes to me, same thing happens. Are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not okay. I don't usually talk like that, but mm -hmm. I, that's what they were like, what's wrong? Yeah. I, was like, I don't know what's going on. So then I go up and I teach, but what I did not know, and I only found out after was that uh, sister in Christ at Apologia, whose name is Desi, and my wife were praying that morning together at the conference that God would overwhelm the father with a burden for this child. Wow. And they were praying all morning that God would put a massive burden on the father of this boy. And it was me. That was and me and um, so that was going on in the background and I did not know. And um, sorry, my earpiece is kind of flying out here. I'm just gonna fix it up. The next day we have a meeting and it's a meeting just with the mom and, it's, and her friend, and it's just to tell the families that night what is, is happening with this little boy, what the status is. So we meet, we get some questions answered, find out it's official diagnosis, ultrasound confirmed, it's the worst case of spina bifida, here's the possibilities, club feet, um, you know, wheelchair maybe one day, you don't know if that's going to happen, a brain shunt, I mean, it could be some severe neurological damage, all kinds of things. Uh, and so we returned to church that night, and we meet with the families who were open that night, uh, and there was a number of families, just amazing families at Apologia, who were willing to sacrifice so much. Everyone's sort of given the pros and the cons of, of what it would look like to take this little boy into their home. And so everyone's wide open. They're saying, yes, if the Lord calls me to it, we, it would look like this for us. Here's the only thing that would be hard for us. Mm -hmm. So then it gets over to Desi and her husband, and she's like, yeah, we could do it. And she's talking about like kind of like in an excited way. Here's what it would look like, and here's how it would be hard for us. But then out of nowhere, Desi breaks down, and she just starts like crying intensely. And she looks over at my wife and I, and she says, but I, I think I have to tell you, I think this is your son. And so now Candy and I just sort of like, we're breaking down. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not really, I don't know if I'm ready to hear it. I don't know if I'm ready to hear that. Um, and um, so for the first time in days, I opened my mouth about it uh, to, to Candy. We're driving home. And all of a sudden my family gets this unusual conversation of what would we call him? And they're all throwing out names. And then all of a sudden I say, well, I'm driving we should call him Augustine. I love that name. Yeah. yeah. And these, you know, old Christian yes, hero of, course, of the faith yeah. and all that, all that. And so, hippo, yeah. yeah, exactly. I thought, you know, great Christian name. Mm -hmm. And then Candy says, well, people would call him August. And I said, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden she gets her wits about her. So do I. And we realize we probably shouldn't be having this conversation right now. We're not making any decisions. This might not be good. And so Candy says that. And I say, you know, you're right. We shouldn't. And so go to bed that night, wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. I'll never forget this. And Candy is sitting at the edge of my bed. And I'm barely awake. I'm still trying to like rub my eyes. And she says, I got some text messages. And I want you to know what I was asking God for. I was saying to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to take him, of course, I'll be obedient and I'll do it. 
but you have to direct the process. I am not manipulating this. I said, I'm not putting my hand on this. I'm not pursuing this. You please tell me, show me that this is what you want for my family, that you want me to be his father. And that's what I was saying to him. I was saying that all that Sunday, I was saying, Lord, you show me that I'm his father. And so eight o'clock in the morning on Monday, after praying all of that all weekend, uh, Candy's at the edge of my bed and she says, I've been just getting some text messages. And one of the things I had been asking God for as well was that, Lord, you need to confirm it through your people. Have your people tell me that I'm his father. Well, then Desi did. And then the next morning, people started texting Candy saying, I just feel like I need to tell you that I think that's, oh. that's your baby. Uh, just random unsolicited texts. Like, I think that's your baby. It was so strange. Mm. And then this is where it got really interesting. Uh, Desi says, yeah, so I'm praying for everyone. We're all fasting, by the way, as, as, as families. We're fasting and praying that day uh, to say, God, please show up. And so she says, yeah, so I'm fasting and praying today. I want you guys to know I'm praying for you. And she says, by the way, I feel like you guys should call him August. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It was the, <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to explain the weight of what I felt in that moment. Yeah. Like, relief, but also stunned. Um, and so I started crying and I just said, I have to go pray. So I get ready. I I leave the house. I go to the mountain, which is like right by my house. And I had about two hours of the most intense prayer and and crying of my life. And, um, just, I just was, I just didn't know what God Mm -hmm. was doing and I wasn't ready for this. And I was saying, I'll trust you and I'll do everything you want me to do, but just please it seems like you're answering everything, but, but please just, just continue to let us know, answer these prayers. And we started, I started throwing more things out. If you could do this and this and this and this, then I'll know this is what you want. So this is where it gets funny. As I collect myself, um, I, uh, I get in the car, I'm going to drive home. And I, I, I say kind of a funny prayer to God. I say, um, Lord, I know that you don't have to do this. And I know that sounds so silly. And I remember I kept saying that, like, God, I know this is silly. I know it's so silly. And you don't have to do this. You, you don't have to do this at all. I said, but if you could just have one more person say to me, August, then I'll know. <laughs> so it was like, I, 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 go, or something. I, exactly. I go, but you don't have to, yeah. you've done enough. You're putting out the fleece twice. Yeah. I, I, I said, you don't have to, I totally don't have to. Uh, so then I, I drive 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later, I get home and uh, Candy, when I get home, she says, um, I was praying. I was like, it was good. It was good. And uh, she says, well, just uh, while you were gone, I've been getting more calls and messages. And she said, and she starts naming more people that were saying, Hey, I just thought I should tell you, I think this is your son. Um, and which is really what we were asking God for. And then she tells me uh, that the, the mother of the girl who has spina bifida at our church right now told her, uh, when Candy told her about Desi saying you should call him August, she said, oh my gosh, I had a dream. Um, and in the dream, uh, there was a little boy born with spina bifida. And I saw very clearly in the dream that he was, it was August. And I heard that walking in the door. Mm. So I just asked God, I said, Lord, if you can just have one more person say August, then I'm good to go. <laughs> and uh, I walk in the door to that. And, and I know how strange that sounds. Like I know... Um, I mean, I'm a reformed Baptist, um, you know, uh, we're not into, you know, pursuing miracles as a ministry kind of a thing. We just aren't, I've seen God do miracles mm-hmm. for so long and over so many times, but I've never been this close to something like this. Well, it, that's just it. It's on his terms. God can do whatever he wants to do, but yeah. we're not the ones to conjure it. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that's like, Hey, tell me about your dreams. I want to interpret your yeah, dream no. kind of thing. But I walked in the door to this. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't looking for it. It just happened. That's what I, and, and uh, um, uh, we were ready for everything the last week before August was born. Um, she went to the doctor with the birth mom. Everything was confirmed. Yes. Spina bifida fourth this, this stage that they named it and all the rest and all the consequences. They had a team of surgeons ready to do the surgery. So you can be in the hospital between two to six weeks, um, depending on the severity and what we have to do at the hospital. And so we were prepared for it. So December 13th, we go to the hospital. The mom is now having a C-section to get August out. And, um, it was amazing. I haven't told this, I think out of, I haven't said this publicly. Um, the mom was getting surgery. They said it was gonna be about two hours. So Candy and I go across the street just to get some coffee. And while we're there, Candy says to me, she says, babe, just, I know we talked about this, but make sure you're prepared and you're ready for the worst of the worst. And I said, I am, I, babe, this is my son. I'm, I'm ready for whatever it's going to be. I'm good. And then she goes, okay, so make sure you're ready. Cause it could be very, very bad. And we might be here for the six weeks, the duration. I said, I know I'm fully ready. This is our son. And then she said, okay. And I said, but you need to be ready for God to completely heal him. And she was like, well, yeah, I said, no, you need to be content. I'm content with him fully healed. Now what's interesting here is over the month before he was born, 
there were literally thousands of Christians around the world who were praying for him to be completely healed and come out whole. So December 13th, mm-hmm. we go back to the hospital. Candy and I are sitting in the, in the lobby and Tabitha, the Christian woman who took uh, this woman into her house, the birth mom, she comes out of surgery. Now we're of course like, what's going on? How bad is it? We were told when he comes out, uh, they have to place him on his belly immediately because there's like a membrane surrounding the spine sticking out. It's actually pretty, pretty icky looking. It's, it's pretty bad. And they have to do this. You know, no one can really hold him. You can't hold him possibly for six weeks. When you wipe him, you have to like hold him upside down. It's just all kinds mm-hmm. of crazy things. Mm-hmm. All we were going to be allowed to do was touch him. So she, we walk through the door and the first thing that catches my attention is that uh, the birth mom is holding August on her chest and it doesn't compute. I'm like, what, why is this happening? Like, I'm not understanding. Maybe it's not as bad as they thought. I don't know. I don't, I'm thinking like, what, why is she holding him? Mm-hmm. And then we walk up to the table. Next thing you know, Tabitha breaks down and she said, he's healed. And the nurse is crying. And, and then they're, they're like, there's nothing. And then it just erupts. Like uh, all I can tell you is, is in all those healings you see in scripture where Jesus heals somebody, you always wonder mm-hmm. like, what was the community? Like, what did it feel like to be there? I can tell you now, at least in my experience, it's about a minute long or so of intense shouting and screaming. Oh. And then it turns into like hours of stunned silence to where I can tell you that I was basically muttering mm-hmm. prayers to God. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't formulate five words in a row to say to God because I was so stunned. It was a legitimate thing where you feel like you can't even stand up straight. You're yeah. just, you, you, it, nothing feels like, it feels like you're out of your body. Um, and so next thing you know, the nurse grabs him. She puts him on the table and she flips him over and she shows his back and he's whole. So in this, um, in this clip, and you can actually watch the whole thing on Doreen Virtues. I sped it up should clips of it. Um, there's doctors who've never seen anything like this before. And uh, in, in this clip, what, what I, what I, why I'm showing these clips is I really want my continuationist brothers, because as a continuationist, I feel like I get to speak to that side more to this, than the cessationist side. Um, I want you to notice a couple things. I feel a burden. I think this is your son. I think his name is Augustine. God, he's asking God, direct this process. Lead me, guide me, speak to me. I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. Um, confirm it through your people, people getting dreams, God's supernaturally healing person, and that's a cessationist. So when we start talking about continuationists and cessationists, I want you to put that in your mind as the normative average cessationist because there are cessationists that are way more like God doesn't do anything. They're, they're functional deist. Those people exist, but I don't think they're the average. The more I spend time talking to cessationists, the more that I, I explain the gift of healing as I, I believe it. And they go, that's exactly what I believe. I, I talk about God leading his people. I call it prophecy, but they go, I believe God can do all that. I just won't call it prophecy. Yeah, so the word he used, uh, God confirmed this, direct this. If you really want me to have this child, have somebody tell me his name is August. Yeah. Okay. That's literally what I call a word of wisdom. That's right. Or a word of knowledge, right? No, I mean, I, I use the word wisdom. It's, it's, I don't know what to do. I'm at a crossroads. You have to give me wisdom. Mm-hmm. It's a fulfillment of James 1, and I think it's what's called a word of wisdom in First sure. Corinthians 12. Yeah. That's just the word I would use for it. And I've had numerous occasions, stories, tons of stories like that, where God has confirmed things. There's no way. Uh, it just, it, there's no way it could just be coincidence. It's right. just beyond that. And, and Joel too calls streaming prophecy, right? Yes. So, so again, so we've got prophecy, a word of wisdom and a healing. And it's one of the most encouraging stories yeah. I've heard. Uh, I know that you said you, like you were in tears when you heard it the first time. Yeah. And I, I, I was in tears today watching it for the second or third time. Like it's, yeah. it's really touching. It's a great story. It is slightly weird though, how I, I'm just like, well, so it, I mean, you said this already, but it's just so strange to me because it seems like we actually believe the same thing. Right. 
more often than not. And that's, that's, I really want to shrink this haves and have nots divide. I really want to shrink it because, um, continuationist sensationist have, if you're, if you're conservative, thoughtful continuationist. And and the reason I'm not showing the cessationist, the conservative, thoughtful continuationist is I hope that we're, we're displaying that every week. Like, I don't know if we're perfect, but I'm, I hope that we're trying to display Hey, we have a theme. We make jokes reason. and like, yeah, yeah we, <laughs> we could do better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're both acknowledging. Uh, yes. We can yeah. do better. Um, but um, we, I want our continuationist to view cessationist in this light um, so that when you're having conversations, realize we're probably just talking past each other with terms most of the time um, because Doug Wilson and Mark Driscoll are talking about almost the exact same way God is speaking to them. Well, both of them talking about testing and submitting, you know, going to the person, asking them if this was true. Um, but here, here's the thing I also want to ask my cessationist brothers to realize. Jeff said, we don't pursue miracles. We don't, we're not pursuing a miracle ministry. But here's the thing. I believe as you submit yourself to God, you humble yourself before the Lord. He, he will exalt you. Um, that, that if you, um, those who pursue after the Lord, they'll find him. If they knock, the door will be opened. They'll, he's going to answer here's here's the thing they were in a moment of need in a moment of crisis and they were depending on the power of god to answer and you, what happened you, when you can't say you're not pursuing a miracle when you're praying a miracle i mean literally that's yeah. what's happening you're praying for a miracle and again i'm not i'm not trying to correct jeff because i've got no desire to do that but what i am asking us well, to do i don't think i think when he says that he means something different a miracle for a miracle's sake to help a you know rebellious people kind of thing but it's not what he but, means. But let's let's look at his life. Like he was worried. He's like, we've got four kids. Two of them are out of the home. I've got two in my house. My oldest is 11. And we're talking about bringing a newborn in. I think we're done. But he's not sure if this is the will of the Lord. And what happens is through the confirmation of the body, through dreams, words, leading, and divine, divine kind of interactions, supernatural healings, um, it comforts, exhorts, and encourages him. Yeah, First Corinthians fourteen three. God. Yeah, it's everything we talk about in and teach prophecy. on in prophecy. Yeah, that's right. So, so at, at the end of the day, I would just encourage people: if you're in a space, if you're in a cessationist space, and you're like, "Hey, I don't want to pursue miracles," but you're saying, "Hey, I want to know what God's will is for my life, and I'm going to humble myself to seek Him in all the areas, whether it be evangelism, missions, whatever that is, mm-hmm. do that and see if God doesn't do something like this." And if you're a continuationist, um, let's stop creating the cessationist mold as if they're a bunch of haters of the Holy Spirit. Or deists, just straight up deists. Because that, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. We, I'd like to see him come on the show sometime and have some, this, the Jeff Durbin. Durbin yeah. Right? Uh, I'd like to see him come on the show and have that conversation. I invited him. I, I, I text Sage and asked her to, to have her dad come on because that's how I booked him last time. Um, to talk about cessationism. I'd love to have James White. I'd love to have Jeff Durbin. I'd love to have Thomas Schreiner on the show and talk about cessationist of the, cessationist, cessation of the gifts. I can't even say it. It's just like not in me to say. <laughs> Sorry. I keep thinking of that, that gif of, uh, of uh, oh, what's his name? The guy from Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey. Okay. And he's like, you know, <laughs> cessation. Yeah. All right. All right. Anyway. It kind of defeats the very purpose of the video. That's right? it. That's it. That's it. Anyway, guys, um, I, I want to thank you so much for watching. I hope the show is encouraging, edifying to you. I hope that this has helped um, 
bridge uh, the gap, shrink, shrink the divide, bridge the gap between <laughs> uh, the continuationist and cessationist that we can begin to um, look at each other as as individuals who actually have more in common that are just brothers doing churches in different places. We can actually look at each other and say like we should actually work together more and see if we can't find common ground in some of our terms. Um, our continuationist historically. Um, need to be thinking in, in really more doctrinal terms and our cessationists could probably be thinking in more uh, pursuing, seeking after the Lord in divine leading and guiding and providence of God. I think that, man, we we could, we could have a lot more in common uh, than Protestants and Roman Catholics. Um, so I uh, hope this is helpful and encouraging and edifying. If you like the video, uh, man, consider giving. There's a couple ways to give. There's links in the description of the video. You can give on PayPal, one-time gifts, or Patreon to get special, unique content. Um, usually giving thoughts on our interviews, things like this. So, Yeah, we uh, need, we need donations that? so we can do that pilgrimage to the Bethel the Museum pilgrim, of Relics. Don't call it a pilgrimage. <laughs> Nobody's going to give to that. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> they're they're going to like actually stop their subscription because they're calling it a pilgrimage <laughs> yeah. to the, the charismatic Mecca. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Miller, thanks for being in the studio. Yeah, uh, fun. Cool. Blessings. See you guys next time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.